Hello, welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCreary. I'm back for my second podcast of the week. And today, we're going to continue talking about the NBA playoffs. Uh, we're also going to be, I'm going to be talking specifically about the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers series. I'm also going to be talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They've been playing really well, so I want to talk about them. Um, also, I need to talk about the Julio Jones situation because as a Falcons fan, I'm very invested in that. And then, is there anything else? Um, yes, I also want to talk about like sports fans and their treatment of athletes because that's become a, a very popular topic over um, really overnight um, with some things that have ha- that happened yesterday um, in the in the NBA playoff games. But without further ado, let's get started talking about the Nets. The Nets have been awesome in the playoffs so far. Um, if you don't know, the Brooklyn Nets, they're playing the Boston Celtics. Um, in the first two games, they've really dominated the, the Celtics. Uh, game In game one, they won 104 to 93. Uh, but they they dominated the, the four factors of the game. Um, and if you don't know what the four factors are, um, their stats, uh, they're like four, four, like the four most important stats in a basketball game, um, if you win these four categories, you're, you're probably, um, like more than likely, uh, going to win the game. And the four factors are e- effective field goal percentage, which basically takes into account, um, it, it like basically distinguishes threes from twos and takes into account that threes are worth more than twos. Um, then there's turnover percentage or turnover rate, offensive rebound rate, and then free throws per field goal attempt. Um, and, and in the first game, um, the Brooklyn Nets bested the Celtics in all four categories and they ended up winning the game by 11 points. Um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, they all three played well in the game. Uh, they combined for 82 points. They actually had a rough start. Um, not just them specifically, but the entire team. Offensively, they had a rough start in game one because they just refused to move the ball or run any kind of legitimate offense. They had no motion, and they kept having their three stars dribble the ball uh, while everyone else watched them. Um, and so they weren't able to get good looks. They were taking contested jump shots. It was just really bad offense, and they were losing because of it. Um, and they changed their offense in the second quarter and began running um, like a legitimate offense. Like they were cutting, running pick and roll a little bit, running screens, dribble handoffs, stuff like that. So they were actually running uh, offense um, and you could see the difference um, from the second quarter on. Um, like their first half numbers uh, versus the second half numbers are incredible. And let me actually pull that up. Let me go to game one. Looking at basketball reference here. So in the first half, uh, the Boston Celtics, they, they were up at halftime 53-47. to 47. Then in the second half, the Brooklyn Nets uh, invested them 57-40. to 40. So that's a, a drastic change from the first half to the second half. Um, the, the, in the first, at halftime, the Celtics had a, was it a seven or a, a six point lead? Um, and then in the second half, the Nets outscored them by, by 17 points. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, Brooklyn Nets, um, awesome, awesome win in game one. Um, struggled in the beginning, but they turned it around in the second half, made some adjustments, 
and they're able to come out with the W. Now, Game 2 was a totally different story. They just destroyed the Celtics in Game 2. They won 130-108. to Their offense was much more effective than the, uh, than the Celtics in this game. Um, like they, they had a, the Nets had an effective field goal percentage of 61.9, while the Boston Celtics had an effective field goal percentage of 48.9%. That's crazy. That's a huge difference. Um, and, and it's the main reason why the Brooklyn Nets, uh, were so dominant in this game. Uh, because all the other four factors, uh, are, are relatively close. Um, but that, this is where you see a huge difference. Um, now, in the first game, uh, their three stars, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, they were the main reason why, or they were really just the biggest reason, or the only reason why, um, they, they beat the Celtics. But in this game, they had a player, uh, one of their secondary players come out and just, Light, light it up in game two, and that was Joe Harris. He was unbelievable, scoring 25 points, 22 in the second half, or sorry, in the first half, on 89.3% true shooting. That's incredible efficiency. Um, he also had two steals and one block. Um, Kevin Durant, he was great as well, uh, putting up 26 points, five assists, and eight rebounds, along with five stocks, one steal and four blocks with a true shooting percentage of 83.8%. So he was incredibly efficient as well. Uh, both uh, both of them had incredible box plus minuses for the game. Harris with a BPM of 18.5 and Kevin Durant with a BPM of 17.7. Those two players were awesome. Um, and, and the Nets, just their offensive dominance in this game, uh, allowed them to just blow out the Boston Celtics. And now they have a 2-0 series lead. And it looks like they're going to win this series handily. Um, I would not be sur- surprised at all if they swept the Celtics. Uh, but it- it's looking like their offense is just going to be too much to handle uh, for the Celtics. Now, one player I want to talk about is Jason Tatum. He has struggled mightily in this series. He's just been, honestly, I hate to say it, He's just been awful, um, and there's no other way to say it. He just he hasn't been playing well at all. Um, he he scored 22 points on poor efficiency in game one, then he disappeared in game two, scoring nine points on even worse efficiency and turning the ball over three times while only having one assist. And he he simply has to be better because he's supposed to be a star. And the Celtics aren't going anywhere in the playoffs if they can't carry the scoring load like some of the top offensive initiators in the league do. He's got to be better. And he just, like, he, he's a really good scorer, a very good perimeter defender. And he has improved as a passer over the last couple of years. But this series, he just hasn't been playing like a star. Um, and he, he has the potential to be a top 10 player in this league. But he just isn't playing like it in this series. Um, and, and with Jalen Brown out, um, he's got to carry the load offensively. He's got to be an efficient shot creator. And he just hasn't been that for the Celtics. Um, and he's really just been quite, quite bad in this series. But yeah, the Boston Celtics, they've been awesome offensively. Um, and watching them play, it's crazy how much talent they have offensively. I mean, we knew that going in. I mean, they had one of, if not the best offense 
uh, coming in in the league, coming into the playoffs. Let me actually look at that. Uh, in dunks and threes. Let me go to their website and see who had uh, the best adjusted offensive rating. It was the Nets. Okay, so they did have the best offense in the league coming into the playoffs. And watching them play is just beautiful. I mean, they have, obviously they have Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, but it, they also have Joe Harris. They have Landry Shamit, um, Bruce Brown. Like, they have so much offensive talent at the top, but then you have two really good shooters in Shamit and Joe Harris. Um, and you all, like, they, they also have a lot of depth. Um, like, they have Harris, Shamit, but then they have Bruce Brown, Nicholas Claxton, Blake Griffin, uh, Jeff Green, they have so much depth to go along with all that talent and all those all, all their stars and to have on their roster. Their defense, their defense isn't great, but their offense is good enough, or it's more than good enough to overcome their defense. Um, and I can't wait to see how far they can go in the playoffs because I think they can win the title. I think they're good enough offensively. Um, and, and I think, like, when you have Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving, you have enough firepower offensively um, to make things work at the end of games when you got to get those tough buckets. Um, they have the, talent, the talented stars to do that. One thing I like, I like the way that Steve Nash um, has been, you know, I, I like his rotations. Um, he, he starts... James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, along with Blake Griffin and Joe Harris. And then when Kyrie and Kevin Durant are on the floor, he plays James Harden, along with, who has he been playing him with? Was it Blake Griffin? Or was it, um, I think he had Joe Harris on the floor with him. Um, so I think, I think his rotations have been really smart. I like how he has at least one star player on the court at all times, um, surrounding him with good shooters. And, and when James Harden is the lone star on the court, they let him run. Like their offense is very ISO heavy, um, but I think that's fine because that's what James Harden excels at. And when you surround him with shooters, I think that works. That's going to work out really well. And I just like what Steve Nash has done with his rotations. Um, and I like the way the Nets have looked, especially offensively. And I think they can cruise to the finals. Uh, they just have so much talent. They got the depth. Obviously, they're not very good defensively, but they just got too much talent not to not to make a deep run in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed watching the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. Moving on, I want to talk about the Clippers Maverick series. This has been crazy. The the Los Angeles Clippers just cannot seem to figure out the Dallas Mavericks. This is the second year in a, in, a, in in a row that they have played the Mavericks in the first round of the playoffs. They beat them in six games last year, um, but this year it doesn't look like they're going to beat the Mavericks. The Mavericks are up two nothing on the Clippers, and the Clippers have just been terrible defensively, allowing the Mavericks to have an effective field goal percentage over 60% in both games so far. 
that's really bad. Um, and, and Luka Doncic specifically has been unbelievably good. I mean, he had 31 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds, along along with three stocks, and he had a true shooting percentage of 57.2% in Game 1. Not bad at all, um, efficiency-wise. I mean, those numbers are crazy. He had a triple-double, um, just ridiculous numbers. And then in Game 2, he had 39 points, 7 assists, and 7 rebounds, along with two stocks, with a true shooting percentage of 60.8%. Simply put, he's been unbelievable so far. Um, the shots he's hitting are crazy. I mean, he's just playing the way he's been playing. I mean, he's an excellent shot creator and a wonderful playmaker. Um, but the most surprising player so far, or I guess the most surprising performance so far, has been Tim Hardaway Jr. He's been awesome. I mean, he's averaging 24.5 points per game in the series on 80.35% true shooting. That's incredible efficiency. So when Luka Doncic is able to draw on the defense, um, t- t- uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is just able, he's been taking advantage of wide-open jump shots. He's been incredible, uh, scoring on great efficiency. He's been great. And in Game 2, Chris Porzingis came alive, scoring 20, 20 points and racking up five stocks. And if you don't know what stocks is, I know I've said that a few times, stocks is steals plus blocks. So, if I ever say stocks, just know it's steals plus blocks. Now, what's interesting is that the Clippers haven't been terrible offensively. Paul George wasn't very good in Game 1, uh, but he was in Game 2, and Kawhi has been pretty good in this series. He scored 41 points in Game 2, including 30 in the first half. Um, in, in Game 1, wasn't awesome, but um, he, was, he was eh. He was okay, but in Game 2, he was just spectacular. Now, the Clippers, what's really concerning, in my opinion, is that the Clippers got two great performances out of their two stars in Game 2, but they still lost. Now, the Mavericks have been on fire offensively. They're shooting super, super well, um, and their shooting is probably not going to continue to be as good as it's been, but they have home court advantage for the next two games, and I don't think they're going to drop four out of the last five games. So the Clippers, they have to win four out of the last five games. I don't see the Clippers um, losing four games um, for the duration of the series. I think the series just might be over. Um, and it's funny because I made a, I made a video, really a short, um, earlier. This, I believe it was early. It, it wasn't earlier this week, I don't think. It may have been last week. Can't remember, uh, but I made a, a little short about how the Los Angeles Clippers were legitimate title contenders, and now they can't like seem to figure out the Dallas Mavericks, and it looks like they're gonna lose in the first round. So that's funny. But shout out to the Mavericks; they've been awesome, and it looks like they're gonna win this series. Now I, I want to talk about Luka Doncic and how good he is, and more specifically, like. Where does he rank in the NBA? Because I think we're at a point where he just might be a top five player. Now, we have two seasons of elite play. Like, we've seen two seasons of elite play from him. He's improving as a three-point shooter. He's one of the league's best shot creators and playmakers. And over the last two years, he's averaged a box plus minus of 7.5, which makes him a borderline MVP um, caliber player for two straight years 
so statistically, he's been like arguably a top five player in the league. Now, let's look at these numbers. So, over the last two seasons, per 100 possessions, he is averaging, let me pull this up, it's not pulling up. So, in 2019-2020, uh, per 100 possessions, he averaged 41.5 points, 12.7 assists, and 13.5 rebounds, along with 1.8 stocks. Um, and his efficiency was pretty good. He had a true shooting percentage of 58.5, um, and he got to the free throw line a lot. I mean, he had a free throw rate of .448, um, but I think it was a lot like his shot creation has always been awesome, um, but his playmaking has been incredible. Um, he has an assist rate in, in 2019. Um, he had an assist rate of 45.7%. That's awesome. Um, and then this year, I mean, he's still been awesome. He's still been super productive. This year, he had a, a per 100 possessions. He averaged 39.9 points, um, 12.4 assists, and 11.5 rebounds, along with 2.2 stocks. That's really good. Um, and his efficiency was slightly better. 58.7 true shooting percentage. Uh, but he wasn't getting to the line as much. Uh, had a free throw rate of 0.349 um, and, and an assist rate of 44.1%. Um, last year, he was legitimately an MVP caliber player. Um, he had a, a, box, a box plus minus of 8.4 that season. This year, that dipped a little bit. Uh, he had a, a BPM of 6.7. And if you don't know what box plus minus is, it's a box score estimate of the points per 100 possessions that a player contributed above a above a league average player so basically it's just like it's a single number metric that measures a player's impact on a team uh per 100 possessions uh it's not a end-all be-all stat but it's a pretty good measurement for how good a player is um so that's a it's a good stat Luka Doncic has simply been incredible over the last two seasons. And we've seen him do it in the playoffs. Um, like I said earlier, he's one of the league's best shot creators and playmakers. Um, and the impact metrics say that he's been one of the best players in the league. And, and I think when I look at players, when I evaluate players, what I value really highly is championship equity. And what I mean by that is... It, when you think of a player, um, like how, if you were to put a player on a really good team, um, is he good enough to make them a title contender? That's really what I mean when I say championship equity. Can a player take a, a really good team and, and make them a, a title contender? Can he lead that team to a championship? And although Luka Doncic hasn't even won a playoff series yet, and that's what makes this so hard, like evaluating him and kind of ranking him amongst the league's best because he hasn't won a playoff series yet. But with his skill set, I believe he's going to be there one day. And I just think he's so talented that if you put him on a really good team, they would win the title easily because, like, look what he's doing. He doesn't really have that second star on the team. And he's already, and he's just dominating the Clippers, who are, like, that team is much better than the Mavericks. Um, they have two good, um, 
good perimeter defenders. None of them can stop Luka. Um, and the Mavericks offense is just unstoppable. And that, and it's because of, of Luka Doncic. He's been so good. Um, he's going to lead them past the Clippers. And I don't know how far they're going to get in the playoffs, but it, if they do end up winning the series, which I expect, I think we need to have this conversation. I believe Luka Doncic is firmly in of the top five conversation. And I can't wait to see to see where he goes from here because I think he's probably the best 22-year-old we've ever seen in the NBA. Um, I think there are other players in that conversation like LeBron James and Magic Johnson. But Luke is right there with those guys. He's incredible. I love watching him play. Um, and I just think like, we, we need to just, just take a moment and, and just we got to be grateful for what we're seeing and be grateful that we're able, uh, that we have the blessing uh, to watch Luka Doncic play basketball because he's a stud. And what he's doing on a nightly basis is incredible and rare for a guy his age. Now, moving on, I want to talk about sports fans and their treatment of athletes. So yesterday, the Washington Wizards played the 76ers. And I can't really remember what happened. I think, I can't remember if Russell Westbrook got ejected or not, but he was walking off the court and a fan poured popcorn on him. And and he got upset. He had to be held back. And it's just honestly ridiculous that a fan did that. Like, we just got back from a one-year hiatus um, from fans being able to, to attend a live or a sporting event live. And now fans are acting this way. It's ridiculous. Um, I get that this fan paid money to be at this at this game, but that doesn't give him the right to act that way. Um, luckily, he's been uh, banned. I don't know if he's been banned permanently or indefinitely, um, but he's been banned from the arena, um, and he's not going to be going to NBA games there, which is great. That's wonderful to he- hear. Uh, but as fans, we have to do a better job. Um, we can't act like buffoons. I mean, I don't know what this dude's doing. Like, come on. Act like a normal human being. Don't be a piece of crap. Treat the players like respect. Like, these players are human beings just trying to do their job. Like, I get that what they're doing is a form of entertainment for us fans. Um, but we can still act like decent human beings. Um, and then, later on that night, the Atlanta Hawks played the New York Knicks. And Trey Young was inbounding the ball on the sideline. And a Knicks fan spat on him. I'm not kidding. A, a Knicks fan literally spat on Trey Young. Um, luckily, I believe he was banned as well. It's just crazy that people think that they have the right to do this kind of crap. I mean, if I did that, my parents would kill me. They would have whipped me. Um, I just don't understand why people uh, feel that they have the right to treat these athletes this way. Like, like I said earlier, they're people too. And we need to treat them like human beings, not like they're animals in a zoo. Um, so I just, it, it annoys me um, to see people act this way. And then the reaction on social media was bizarre. I mean, I I saw people on Twitter saying like, well, like, it, it, when they were, they were talking about the Russell Westbrook situation and they're like, well, I mean, it's just popcorn. So, I mean, what if like you, what if I came to your office um, maybe, what if I came to your workspace where, where you were employed and I just poured popcorn over you on, on top, like all over you, you'd be pissed, right? Yeah, of course anyone would. 
Now, that's like just imagine how Russell Westbrook feels, uh, and you can understand why he was so upset. And then I, I saw people saying the same thing about Trey Young, like, well, it, it's just spit. Like, athletes, they don't need to overreact. And, and they're not overreacting. I don't understand. Like, this is such a ridiculous take, in my opinion. And they're not overreacting. They're doing their job, and people are treating them like garbage. It's not overreacting. Yeah, it may just seem like such a small thing to people, um, like, hey, it's just spit or it's just popcorn, which is kind of, like, ridiculous. Like, like okay, but you wouldn't want that happening to you in your workspace. Work but it, it's just all about respect and treating other people like human beings. Um, now, I want to end this podcast off talking about the whole Julio Jones situation. I am a Falcons fan. Um, and, who, and if you don't know, Julio Jones, um, he's a wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. And a couple months ago, um, this was reported by, I believe, Adam Schefter. Um, he, or maybe, maybe Ian Rappaport, actually, let me look this up. I don't want to get this wrong. Um, but Julio Jones, a few months ago, uh, he asked for a trade. He requested a trade, uh, from the Atlanta Falcons. Let me see. Uh, yes, from, it was Ian Rappaport, not Adam Schefter. Um, so Ian Rappaport reported that he requested a trade a few months ago. So the Atlanta Falcons have done their duty. They respected him. They were like, all right, we'll look for, um, some trades. So they started shopping him. Um, and that's been going on for a little bit. And it, it seems like they are likely going to be trading him. And it's, it, that seemed like a, a, a thing that was going to likely happen for like a few weeks. Um, Though this is likely going to happen next Tuesday because due to some salary cap implications, uh, I don't know why, but I think they'll save money if they wait until June first to make the deal official. Um, and on earlier this week, Shannon Sh- or was it this week? I believe it was this week. Yes, it was Monday. So on Monday, on Undisputed, Shannon Sharp calls Julio Jones and asks him. If he is leaving the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones says, I'm out of there. Shannon Sharp then goes on to ask him if he wants to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Julio Jones says, no, I want to win. I want to go somewhere where I can win. Now, what's super interesting is that this was done in a a very odd way. Um, It wasn't like they had... Something it didn't like this. The way this was set up didn't look like it was pre-planned. Usually, if they were to call a guest on this type of show, they would have it on a Zoom call. They would have um, like graphics done. They would do it in a way to that looked presentable to a TV audience. But what actually happened is Shannon Sharp just simply called Julio Jones on the phone. And it wasn't like the audio from the phone was um, was like connected in any way to the broadcast. Like in the audio from the phone could be heard or was um, could be heard from like Shannon Sharp's micro own microphone. So it wasn't even like um, they had set up or they had connected Shannon Sharp's phone um, to like to so like the audio was clear. So. And that right there makes it seem like Julio Jones didn't know that the phone call was happening or didn't he like he didn't know that he was live on TV. 
Um, and this presents a few issues. And reports are that he didn't know he was being that he was that the conversation was on live television. Um, and this is a bombshell. Now, you might be wondering why is this such a huge issue. Well, you're not allowed legally to record someone without their knowledge. And that's basically what Shannon Sharp did. Um, allegedly. Now, this is allegedly. I'm not going to say that he definitely did something um, illegal. But allegedly, um, he recorded Julio Jones without his knowledge. Um, now, I don't know what the correct term for this would be. I looked up the law um, in Georgia. Um, if, if you are charged with this and you are found guilty, you can be fined or even imprisoned. Uh, now, I don't know where Undisputed is, is recorded or televised from. I, I would assume that it's in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know what the laws are for, where, where, what the laws are for recording someone with the knowledge in, um, Los Angeles. But in Georgia, which is where I live, you can be fined or even uh, imprisoned, and th this is this whole situation is causing a lot of issues for Fox, which is the network that hosts uh, the show Undisputed, uh, because they're they're in a bunch of legal they're having to deal with all these all these legal legal issues. Julio Jones camp is un unhappy, and I wouldn't be completely shocked if Shannon Sharp does indeed get fired for this because. This is a fireable offense. Now, if I um, were a decision maker at Fox and I had to decide whether or not to fire Shannon Sharp, I personally would fire Shannon um, because when you're a journalist or when you are in, when you're in that kind of, like when you're doing this kind of work, um, you have a level of like. There are ethics that you have to follow. Um, and when you break those, like, code of ethics, which there's codes of ethics in journalism, you have to follow them. And when you break them, those are grounds for firing. And I think that what Shannon Sharp did was, so, was damaging enough um, to be worth losing his job. Now, I don't, I, I don't, like, I hate to say this. Like, I don't want anyone to lose their job. This is just my two cents. Like, if I were a, a, like a CEO of a company and one of my employees did something like this, I, I would at the very least consider firing them um, because this can impact their ability to get other guests on the show moving forward because people are going to say, well, if Shannon Sharp does this to Julio Jones, well, who's to say he won't do this to me? And so I think this just has some long-term effects um, and so I, I wouldn't, honestly, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Shannon Sharp got fired, but this whole thing is a really interesting situation. Um, now let's discuss who, like, just the situation, like him getting traded, where's he going to get traded? Um, and what are the Atlanta Falcons going to get for him? Now, I think there are a, free, a few teams that could get him. One popular team right now is the Tennessee Titans. They are recruiting him hard right now on social media, especially A.J. Brown. Um, I think they can get him. Also, the Patriots, um, they've been included in some rumors. I haven't really heard of any other teams um, included in this conversation, um, but it would be. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him on either one of those teams. 
Um, I think it would be really fun if he goes to the Tennessee Titans because then the Titans would have a phenomenal offense. Like they would have Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, who's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. They'd have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones at receiver. They'd have Derrick Henry at running back. That's just a really talented offense. Um, and then if he goes to New England, you know, you'd have Cam Newton at quarterback along with Matt Jones who can play this season if necessary. Um, and, and Julio Jones would, play, would be playing alongside um, Hunter Henry, um, John U. Smith, um, uh, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, uh, the running backs like Damian Harris. That's also a pretty talented offense. Uh, so I wouldn't mind seeing Julio Jones play with either one of those teams. And I expect the Atlanta Falcons to get a first-round pick out of this trade in a trade for Leo Jones. Reports are um, that they have been offered a first-round pick. And if that's the case, I think they're going to take that and they're going to ship him out of Atlanta. Julio Jones, like, we need to be completely honest about Julio Jones. Although he is super talented, um, over the last couple of years, he has a history of getting hurt. He doesn't miss a ton of games, but he does suffer a lot of injuries and his aging, and his contract, um, although it, it isn't like just franchise killing in terms of the size, it is fairly large, and I think all that together makes his value a lot less than people act, than people expect. So I, th- I was expecting us to get maybe only a second-round pick, so to hear that we have been offered a first-round pick, that's great news for the Falcons, and I think they're going to take that and that Julio Jones will be traded by next Tuesday for, for a first-round pick. Um, and as a, little, as a Falcons fan myself, I'm, I'm not offended whatsoever by Julio Jones going on Undisputed and, and just basically saying that he's out of there and he doesn't want to be a Falcon. Because And I know a lot of Falcons fans were upset and hurt by that. I'm not. Like, uh, let's, be, let's be clear about this. The NFL is a business. This is just a, like, what's happening here? This is, this situation is all business. It's not personal whatsoever, at least I don't believe so. I think Julio just wants to go to a place where he can win. The Falcons can't provide that, so he wants out of there. And I think the Atlanta Falcons just want to get the most they can get in a trade for their number one wide receiver. And Julio Jones wants out of Atlanta. I get that. I think that's understandable considering where the Falcons are at um, with everything they're going to be doing moving forward. I think they're in a full rebuild right now. And Julio Jones just simply doesn't want to be a part of that. The Atlanta Falcons, um, you know, I think they're doing a a good thing listening to his trade request and, and doing good by that. Uh, and putting forth the effort to find a trade partner there. Um, but I'm not hurt by this at all. When I saw the news, I wasn't upset with Julio Jones. I was more upset with Shannon Sharp because what he did was wrong um, and just unethical in, in the world of sports journalism. But I'm not mad at Julio Jones at all. I wish him all the best uh, with his future. And I hope he goes somewhere where he can compete and hopefully get a ring uh, to bolster um, his legacy, making it even stronger. Because I love Julio Jones. He's uh, arguably, arguably been, um, I, mean, he, I think he's arguably the best player uh, in franchise history. He's been awesome, and I love him. But yeah, that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I hope y'all are having a great week. And I will see y'all next time. 
Peace.